Hello and welcome to the Talking Pharmacy podcast, back after our extended summer break. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of our daily news service, Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainers, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Coming up, I talk to Danielle Hunt from Pharmacist Support about this year's Act Now Wellbeing campaign, which kicks off on Sunday. Now, we're recording this on Thursday, September the 22nd, and Arthur is in Manchester reporting on the LPC conference, where there has been a significant announcement concerning the contractual framework in England. Agreement has been reached, finally, on the arrangements for both years four and five of the five-year framework agreement. Arthur, could you run us through some of the main points? Hello from Manchester. Uh, So you guys will get into the meat of the deal in London, but um, the core win, if you can call it that, is that 100 million in excess excess margin is not going to be clawed back, meaning that tariff prices are going to be slightly higher in the new year. This is the key thing that Janet Morrison says persuaded her team not to walk away from what is otherwise quite an uninspiring deal, as she acknowledged herself as otherwise the government would have whipped that money off the table and pharmacies would have faced further funding cuts. Uh, Also, the 17 million per annum transition payments have been retained in light of the ongoing pressures on the sector. And uh, other concessions from the government include a commitment to carry out two important reviews, one by the DH itself that will look at the implementation of the price concession system, which many view as totally out of kilter at present and really hitting contractors hard. And there's also going to be an independent economic review that the PSNC hopes will uh, help it to push government and NHS to make more evidence-based funding decisions. In terms of services, some announcements there. Um, there's going to be a phase launch of a pharmacy contraception service. This is a long-standing ambition for many in the sector. It's going to be introduced over this year and next year. So kind of staggered in recognition of, of the pressures at present. Uh, there's also going to be modest extensions to the CPCS and NMS. And also to help with capacity issues, um, there's going to be a reduced scope to the pharmacy quality scheme this year. And there's going to be amendments to the blood pressure and smoking cessation service specs to allow delivery by pharmacy technicians which um, is good for in terms of pharmacist capacity as well as uh, professional development for, for pharmacy technicians, of course. Um, of course, what the PSNC has not been able to do is secure any flexibility in, in terms of how policymakers view the core terms of the contract and critically that annual 2.592 billion contractual sum. This has been a core demand for Janet Morrison and her team and before that Simon Jeep. So, um, many are going to view the deal as a failure on those terms, but um, it remains to be seen just how pharmacies are going to be affected in the months to come. So agreement reached between PSNC and DHSC and NHSC for both 2022-23 and 23-24. Extension of transitional payments under hard one, uh, I'm quoting there, £100 million excess margin write-off for contractors all among the headlines. Lots for contractors to unpick there, Arthur. What's been the reaction in Manchester? Yeah, so having spoken to some of the LPC representatives here in Manchester, uh, I would say the general mood is one of stoic acceptance. Uh, People don't exactly like the deal, uh, but aren't surprised by it either. And the consensus seems to be that banking that 100 million in Morrison's terms um, was the right thing to do, because as she says, 
uh, otherwise that would have been just money that wasn't available to pharmacies and things would have been that much tougher uh, of course these types of events can be a little bit more insidery and I have had a hard time finding an LPC reps to speak to who haven't been in some way involved in the negotiations themselves so that will colour the kind of responses you get uh, I think once you actually get out into contractor land the mood is going to be a lot more grim and people um, may feel a lot more spiky towards the negotiating body and um, we've had a Q&A session just now and the first question from from an online uh, contributor I mean not so much a question as a sort of cri de corps said that this 100 million is a drop in the ocean when set against the the real financial pain and rising costs that are hitting contractors to which Morrison could only agree. Um, I think a big question that a lot of people will be asking, uh, and ha have been asking to be fair over the past few years, is whether getting uh, sort of shackled, if you want to call it that, to this five-year deal was the right thing to do. I mean, if you consider everything that's happened since then, uh, you know, the pandemic and this, you know, you know, terrible inflationary crisis we're going through now. Um, but still, the government has been very, you know, I don't think reluctant is even the word to, to, to reconsider that core um, contractual sum. So and people are asking, well, you know, if we knew then what we know now, would we have gotten ourselves into this? Thanks, Arthur, at the LPC conference. So, as I say, we're recording this on Thursday morning, so we haven't had much time to look into the agreement in too much detail. But, Rob, what are your first impressions? Hi there, Richard. Uh, yeah, gosh, I, I missed the bit about the 100 million. Where, where was that? Actually, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> the 100 million's mentioned 15 times in the press release. Have you counted? I have counted. And in fact, the first time I counted, I got to 14 and then I found another one. So <laughs> there may well be 16. I, d I don't know. It's four, it's four, it is five pages long. Um, so I've read the press release four times now. And I, and I have to say, in a way, it sort of reminds me of the old days. The big positive, obviously, is keeping money that under the under the original agreement would have had to be paid back. Um But I suppose the thing that comes across to me most is a very heavy reimbursement focus in the whole piece and to me that looks back and not particularly forward um there's also the um it would have been much worse if we hadn't agreed this bit which i know we've all seen a lot of times before um and i don't really get a sense there's any real forward movement in the package as a whole now i think that's pretty understandable given where everything is um but just on that 100 million bit, I mean, I suppose the thing that occurs to me, and I don't know, I, I guess we, the devil's in the detail and we have to see how it pans out. But it strikes me immediately that that potentially means that those who are able to make or have made the most margin um, are on balance going to be the winners from this. Um, and those who are too busy providing care to watch every single penny might well lose out if you just roll, roll things over. Um and I guess it also sort of bakes in the base for another year. Although on the positive side, it does set a precedent to write off margin um, going forward as well. Um, and that might be the right thing to do, given pressures on the sector, the outlook for the winter and into next year. You know, I suppose we've got the, whatever they're calling it, fiscal event uh, on um, Friday, which is the day the podcast will go out. But I mean, all I'd say there is, you know, a reduction in corporation tax, if that's what happens on Friday, might be very welcome 
in the economy as a whole. But if you're a business that's not going to make much of a profit or you're even going to make a loss, that's not going to make that's going to make next to no difference to you at all. Um, now, the big positive, I think, is the economic review. That's got to be welcomed. Uh, although the cynic in me would say that the big winners out of that will be whichever of the usual suspects, you know, the boys with the high-end laptops and the invoices to match gets the contract to do it. And I suspect it won't be a, a quick uh, a quick and dirty exercise either and probably doesn't need, it shouldn't be. It probably should be an in-depth review of, of where the sector currently is. Um, and, you know, generally I'm, I'm not convinced that claiming as a winner rowing back on pushing on with service extensions is the right signal. Uh, I'd have gone with service extensions and a postponement of paper exercises completely. But those are just minor points and I'm, I think we'll take a bit longer to, to review the whole thing in due course. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Neil, what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much along the similar lines. I mean, the PSNC's headline achievement, as Rob says, is the £100 billion excess margin write-off for contractors. And why wouldn't you, if you were PSNC, why wouldn't you mention it 15 or 100 times in the press release? Uh, they make a pretty strong, well, on the face of it, they seem to make a pretty strong case for accepting that particular deal. Um some pretty strong language. If you're scratching for, around for positives, if you're a glass half full kind of person, I, I, it depends what kind of the side you fall down on, I, I suppose. I, at the very least, I guess it means that contractors know where they are in the next two years, years four and five, um, even though it's frozen, even though there's still, even though there is still some uncertainty. So it, it depends how you view it. There's still no clarity on how the Department of Health will fix a broken drugs price concession system. Um, we're told that they're committed to reviewing it um but that's not even a promise to change it that's just a, a, a commitment to review it and it doesn't fill me with much confidence it wouldn't fill me with much confidence if i was an independent pharmacist um you know uh, for a long time now we've we've said that independence uh well for all sectors of pharmacy but particularly independence can no longer um subsidize the nhs drugs bill um so the announcement on the drug tariff may help to alleviate some of that pressure I don't know but but still the Department of Health continues to uh, announce price concessions at the end of the month and even into the following month and how on earth independents can plan their businesses at the start of the month when, they, when they've got to put up with that I, 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 it, it defies me I don't I have no idea um, we still have no answers on that um, and that's very that's from my perspective and from independence perspective that's a huge frustration and a concern um, I guess it's good news if you're picking around for good news Good news for pharmacy technicians. I mean, you know, they, there's more recognition for their role. We've heard in recent weeks about their role and, and uh, are they getting adequate uh, recognition? Well, they, you know, according to the PSNC there and the service specifications for the blood pressure and smoking cessation, they'll be heavily, more heavily involved in that. They'll be able to be more hands on. So I guess that's good news for pharmacy technicians. Um, but independents have had to, uh, just going back to independence, you know, independents have had to endure rising prices of medicines and have been forced to purchase medicines without knowing if the cost will be covered by the drug tariff or the concession price. Does this announcement really solve that problem? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I always think it's interesting when you, uh, how these announcements are, are kind of framed. Um, and, you know, I agree with the points that, that both you, uh, uh, Neil and Rob have made. But when you frame an announcement such that, um, a no agreement would have meant imposition, and, and that would mean kissing goodbye to that one hundred million pound. You know, it's hard to argue against that being the, the the best deal in the circumstances. But as is the way with these things, 
you know, how much horse trading and, and, and dressing up of the agreement, you know, has gone on to get it to this point. And you do sense that the statements from PSNC uh, today have been spun to within an inch of their lives. I'm sure also the contractors will be uh, frustrated and, and, and very concerned that, that PSNC has failed to secure any extra funding outside of the framework, given their uh, a precarious financial position. And that's directly quoting the um, PSNC. Given that the, the current economic situation, uh, being as bad as it is, a cost rising inexorably, you know, things are in- incredibly tough. Um, one thing that occurred to me, and Rob, maybe I could put this to you. PSNC's Janet Morrison has said in the statement that we must find a way to turn the dial in pharmacies' favour with these negotiations. Well, PSNC, to me and to most people, I'm sure, conspicuously failed to do that thus far. So what needs to change? It's a great question, Richard. Um, And the press release, I think, illustrates it's just another example that illustrates the challenge i think um so to me a lack of benefit uh in the system and in the contract and in this particular uh, years four and five of this deal ultimately means a lack of benefit to patients and the public uh, a lack of opportunity uh to make progress and to to do things uh, differently or better uh, to benefit them, and I suppose the real opportunity um, that sits behind the um, the change in the change in the um, the discussion is is the strategy review coming up over the autumn, uh, and I think that's got to start with some thinking about why community pharmacy exists, and then take it from there. It exists in terms of you know the public, um, what what's what's the job for? It's very interesting, the press release, the first mention of patients, I think comes halfway down page four. Um, so I, I think what's needed, and I hope that the strategy work does this, is start with a really serious think about how the community pharmacy service supports patients. I'm thinking particularly as well, I think, about its social capital. You know, the access, the location, the people that work there, especially the people who work there. Um and and then then its aspirations to do to do whatever the aspiration is next and i think weaving through that has got to be a whole bunch of things which which obviously in the current climate and and given the need to agree years four and five haven't really been touched upon or don't appear to have been in certainly according to the the way the outcome's been framed you know what part is independent prescribing in community pharmacy going to play Let's not wait for the, you know, the, the, I'm going to run a piece in the next month's issue, which seems to suggest that the the only people who can decide what that is are the people sitting in Richmond House or wherever they are these days, Skipton House, Wellington House. I've lost track of the number of houses now. Uh, but the only people who can decide what that is are sitting in a government building, Um Community pharmacists and community pharmacists' representatives are better placed, I think, to, or should be better placed to say, this is what we can do. This is where we would go with this if it was us. And this is what we want to achieve. And yet we seem too often to sort of sit back and say, oh, let's see what they come up with next. And then we can tell them 
you know, whether we like it or not. So independent prescribing, um, where we go uh, and where community pharmacy would like to go, thinking about the future of medicines development, some very exciting stuff going on. Uh, finally, words like genomics, uh, are, pharmacogenomics are words of today and not words of tomorrow. Uh, you know, how does community pharmacy support the whole kind of social care s debate and, and, and where that goes next? Um, and then ultimately, given that we've got different structures within the NHS now thinking about the future of primary care, uh, where does community pharmacy want to pitch in in terms of pathway redesign and, and the development of integrated care services? And, and where should community pharmacy fit with all, within all of those? And then overarching all of that, you know, skills development. We could talk about independent prescribing. What about other skills that are needed or might be needed? And then my last plea, I think, is to really, really f home in on, you know, what sort of IT system uh, or what, what sort of IT development needs to be done to enable community pharmacy to capture uh, what's going on. Um, because I think one of the big gaps in community pharmacy historically has been we don't actually know the outcome or the or the output of what, what's being done and trying to get a bit closer to the patient outcome has got to be a good thing and needs to feed into all of that. So I think that, you know, but there's a great opportunity with the new strategy development over the autumn to um, to crack on with some of that and to, to start to frame the de the debate in the way that in the way that the other side would frame it, but also in the way that I think um, the the leading edge practitioners would want it to be framed themselves. You know, if they could if they could have that debate. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that strategy development work goes, Rob. And uh, I, yeah, quite struck by when you said that patience uh, only appears on page four. I mean, that's quite revealing in itself, isn't it? And and one thing I, I one other thing I picked up on. Um, no mention of pharmacy first, you know, this funded walking scheme for minor ailments that has been uh, trumpeted from time to time. I'm, I wonder whether that ever actually existed. Um, I think it's a unicorn. Neil, some final thoughts from you then to, to wrap this section up. Well, yeah, I'm just really leading on from Rob's point about, you know, we, we know about the accessibility of uh, community pharmacies. We know uh, the potential. We know the independent prescribing we know what pharmacy can achieve and I, I, I just have a very uh, unsettling feeling and I've had it for quite a while now really that this government despite the fact we've had a change of cabinet and a new prime minister at the end of the day I, I, I just feel that you know that central funding won't go up um, probably never will under this under the under the Tories um, and I think you know call me cynical I, I think the only way that pharmacy will ever or can ever hope to get uh, uh, more central funding in, into the contractual framework is if in the in the global sum is if Labour get into power. I, I don't see the central funding ever going up under the Tories, and I th and I think that's a real shame. I, I, as I said, you know, I call me cynical, but I'm 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 looking at the Tories and I'm thinking, you know, the High Court case five or six years ago, they wanted to get they they, they clearly thought there were too many pharmacies. I don't think that attitude's particularly changed. I don't see anything. Uh, I know it's early days. Therese Coffey and Liz Truss, that they're new appointees. But I, I, don't, I don't see anything that makes me think that this is a whole new uh, 
uh, fresh outlook and attitude towards community pharmacy in in in, in England. I, I I think that they possibly do see that there are too, still too many pharmacies, and they and they don't care that pharmacies are closing. Um, they they couldn't care less. Um, and if they did, they would they would uh, put more money into the into the central pot. So I think that's a real concern. I think that's a, a real worry. Um, just an, uh, another quick thought on 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 today's. Uh, I did tune in. I'm, I'm sure you did, Richard, as well. Or the LPC conference. Um, uh, I know we're recording this on Thursday. But I was listening to Janet Morrison uh, giving her address, and I was look, looking at some of the the comments um, that were being made down the side of the screen from attendees. I, I gather LPC officials, perhaps. And you know, and I, I know this is slightly veering a little bit away from the from the, the funding agreement, but I, I did I did notice quite a few con- comments concerns about. Um, leading on from the inability of the PSNC to, to, whether you think this is harsh or not, you know, strike a good deal for pharmacy, you know, the, the reforms, of course, and, and and I did notice a few comments, you know, are these reforms, um, are, are they having the desired effect, or will they have, sorry, will they have the desired effect on the PSNC to make the PSNC fit for purpose? Clearly, there's a view there that uh, the reforms are more geared towards LPCs rather than PSNC. So I did sense just this slight aside to, to the contractual uh, stuff and the funding stuff. But nevertheless, I think it homes in on the the view of the PSNC and its ability to, uh, you know, get the right deal for pharmacy. Is it fit for purpose? And and that that kind of just took my interest there. Some of the comments I saw this morning were, mm, well, these RSG reforms are clearly not or will not address the PSNC. They're going to address LPCs. Um, and one source told me that there's going to be a very, very, very heated debate between LPC officials. Uh, but of course, as we all know, the press weren't allowed to attend that session. So we'll, we'll watch this space. Yeah, we'll we'll be coming back to the RSG reforms, I'm sure, in 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 coming podcasts uh, and in print. And and yeah, it, interesting where um, the central funding question where that lies, Neil, as you say, no mention of pharmacists in Theresa Coffey's ABCD. Um, but anyway, let's wrap this up for now. We'll all uh, be all over this in print and online over the next few days uh, in the magazines and on our various platforms as we. We pick apart what this really means for contractors in England and get some reaction from the sector. But for now, uh, thanks, Rob and Neil and Arthur up in Manchester. Now, this year's Act Now Wellbeing campaign from Pharmacist Support kicks off on World Pharmacist Day this Sunday, September the 26th. Earlier in the week, I caught up with Chief Executive Danielle Hunt and asked her for pharmacists who may not have heard of Act Now, what is the campaign all about? Act Now is Pharmacist Support's wellbeing campaign and I can't believe this is actually our third year of the campaign. So we first established a campaign um, directly in response to the pandemic really in May 2020 and really it was about helping people with those wellbeing challenges. It was a highly stressed time and we wanted to provide practical tips and stories and kind of make people feel like they weren't alone at a time which was really difficult um, and Act Now really is all about allowing time for well-being considering needs of colleagues and teams and then taking action to actually prioritise your well-being um, and that first campaign in 2020 was so successful we decided to run it annually and um, we do it a little bit differently at the moment where we kind of segment it so we have a student focused at Now which is earlier in the year and a trainee one and we're just about to come up to our pharmacist campaign yes and these are tough times like you like you say Danielle um so what are your your campaign themes for this year 
Yeah, so for this year, I mean, every year it's got a real focus on well-being and what people can actively do. We also use it as an opportunity to to raise awareness of the charity, what we do at Pharmacist Support, because we do actually provide some really great support for people who need that help through financial assistance and mental health support through counselling. So we do focus on that individual wellbeing, but this year we are broadening that focus a little bit to look at it from more of a workforce and um, workplace perspective. Um, And this really um, is a result of, we do an annual workforce wellbeing survey with the RPS each year, and we want that highlighted some particular issues around kind of workplace culture and stigma around mental health and we know you know we can all prioritize our well-being as much as we can but if there's a really poor workplace environment then there's not a lot you can do you can do all you possibly can but if it's really poor um that's not helpful so what we want to do is work collaboratively with as many organizations as possible as well through the campaign as well as individuals to start to look at um, what culture shifts might need to happen to kind of create that positive workplace culture and ultimately workforce env- workplace environments where individuals can thrive and kind of put themselves first. Um, the pharmacist campaign is actually four weeks long, so we do break that up into key themes. Um, this year it kicks off on World Pharmacist Day, which is the 25th of September. And the first week really is about breaking the silence. So that's um, where we will ask people to share their personal stories around mental health and well-being because what we found is there's a real stigma and actually when you start to talk to people lots of people have faced challenging times and when they share those stories and talk about how they've got through it it often helps other people so the first week's focused on that the following week week two will be looking at workplace culture so looking at what people can do within pharmacy organizations to kind of make start to make changes and we'll provide practical tips and start to look at that um, week three is really about developing the team. So we know that managers um, have a particular role to play. Um, and, you know, if you've got a supportive manager, um, that can make a real difference. I think we all know that. Um, but often managers feel like they don't always know what to do. They don't, you know, it's quite a difficult position to be in. So we'll be providing some helpful tips. Um, and that really runs up to some um leadership training and management training will be launching early next year so we'll start to introduce some of that and then week four will be really focused on prioritizing um, individual well-being again so I think that's always really important we can all help ourselves Um, and as usual like the previous campaigns we'll be providing loads of resources materials and panel chats with people posters you can put up in your workplace so hopefully it'll be really practical um, and a really good way for people to get involved. Yeah, really interesting themes here, Danielle. A break in the silence of, of mental health and well-being, I think, you know, particularly um, pertinent and important theme for, for week one of the campaign. Um, so that all sounds uh, great. Lots going on. How can pharmacy teams get involved? Um, so anyone really interested can just sign up to the campaign. They can do that on our website. So that's pharmacistsupport.org. Once you signed up, you'll receive um, free, dedicated and exclusive pharmacist support wellbeing material. That's for practical uh, material that pharmacy organisations, teams and individuals can use. Um, we also are really active on social media and there'll be lots of wellbeing conversations over four weeks. So we have a Twitter account, Facebook, in- Instagram and LinkedIn. So that's a really good way to 
just see how you can get involved. Um, and the pharmacy show is also in the middle of the campaign. So we will be there with an information stand with lots of campaign material. Um, and on the Sunday, um, myself and a colleague, Melissa, will be running a session um, called Wellbeing in Pharmacy. Um, what will it take to reverse a trend of burnout? So this will be quite focused on kind of some of the data and what we're doing at pharmacist support so that's on the Sunday and um, that's in professional development and careers theatre at um, 10.25 so that's a good way to kind of find out what we'll be doing. Yes yeah, so yeah definitely look out for that at the pharmacy show always good to, to see the pharmacist support team there and you've got lots of activities planned by the sound of it Danielle yeah. which is great. Um, so finally what do you think is the one key message that you'd like to get across to the sector about this year's Act Now campaign? I think it's definitely about us all getting behind the campaign. I think if collaboratively we can all work together, all organisations within the profession, we can start to kind of reverse this trend of burnout. And I think the campaign's a really good way to raise that awareness and then start to all challenge ourselves on what do we need to do to create these environments. Um particularly you know sharing those stories I think leadership stories are really strong I think if people can see that you know people in leadership positions within pharmacy may have experienced in challenging times that's always really good so you know you can still share your stories in that first week of the campaign and kind of get that momentum going. Daniel Hunt there from Pharmacist Support. Details about the Act Now campaign and how you can get involved are on the show notes to this podcast. Just follow the link. There are loads of resources available to access as well. And that brings us to the end of this packed edition of Talking Pharmacy podcast. It's good to be back. My thanks again to Danielle and to Rob, Neil and Arthur. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts can be found on the Pharmacy Magazine website, pharmacymagazine.co.uk and from your usual podcast provider. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We'll be back again next week, but for now, thanks very much for listening. (laughs) 